The Punisher told me to sit down and shut up. Jeff Hoffman continues to tell Jeff Carr that he has a message for him. And why in the world does any pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds still throw to Ian Happ? We'll talk about all that and more on today's Locked on Reds. Let's go. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker. We have been passionate fans of the Cincinnati Reds for our entire lives, but this is going on our fourth season podcasting about it because we've turned that addiction into information for you. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about this loss from the Reds or by the Reds to the Chicago Cubs and more important, more aptly, Ian Happ who just continues to hate on the city of Cincinnati. We're going to break down some decisions that David Bell made, especially regarding some pitching and lineup decisions and things like that and guys playing third base. But we need to start first, which, by the way, this is the Lockdown Reds podcast that's part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. And firstly, Steve, we need to talk about this outfield because – Aristides Aquino, as much as I hate to say that, because you watched him not look so hot there on a couple of breaking pitches from Drew Smiley in his first at bat, but holy crap, did he catch a hanger and just send it as far as he possibly could. Listen, Aristides Aquino made me look very, very bad on Twitter today. After that first at bat where he was just flailing like he had absolutely no clue as to what was going on, you know, I posted on Twitter that that was a very ugly, just a very, very ugly, ugly at bat and that the Reds needed to send him to Louisville immediately after the game. That was the tweet. Boy, did it not hold up very well. Uh, he proceeds to go uh, hit two home runs after that. And, you know, the my followers and our, our listeners on of this show uh, proceeded to drag me very, very well across the Twitterverse today. But listen, you know, uh, Aristides Aquino is a fun guy to root for. He's just not really delivered when he's had the opportunities. And do I believe that this is a change? Do I believe that, you know, this is the new and improved Aristides Aquino? No, I really don't. But if he can do this over a two-week span, a three-week span, if we're going to get another August out of him, like his very (laughs) first August, I will take that. I will take that, take it, give it to us, and then send him back down to Louisville. But, you know, it was quite a nice surprise uh, in an an outfield overhaul that we really didn't see coming uh, even yesterday. Plus, you're talking about a dude that if he can figure it out at the plate, you know what you're getting from him in the field. He showed it early on in the game whenever uh, I'm tr- I'm blanking on the name. Uh, I think it was uh, Rafael Ortega. Rafael Ortega tried to stretch a single into a double and Aquino's like, ah, no, don't get that out of here. Get that weak sauce out of here. Threw him out. He was out like 20 ways from Sunday. And I don't even know what that means, but he was out by a mile. If you can get that bat coming around and figuring out pitching and figuring out things to lay off, figuring out how to just better perceive what is coming plate word, 
this could be a whole different outfield because we talked about how volatile this outfield is, but it's nice to see him at least figure it out for a game. And and the fact that Nick Senzel is back makes things look nice too. You know, with Aquino, uh, two games back now, that's three extra base his extra base hits in those two games. He had a double uh, in that game in Toronto. Also uh, an excuse me swing single that he hustled out and, and showed a lot of hustle on in, in both games back now he's thrown out a runner on the base pass. <laughs> so, you know, he definitely changes what this outfield looks like. And then you talk about Nick Senzel coming back, which is a great transition into a tremendous defensive upgrade in having Aristides Aquino and Nick Senzel in the same outfield. And we saw that tonight or last night, rather with the Cubs in that Nick Senzel was covering tons of territory made a couple of great catches right up against the wall Uh, of course everybody was holding their breath until we saw that Nick was okay from crashing into the wall but you know it was a tremendous catch I mean you know I don't know that that ball was going to get out it may have hit off the wall and come back in but he at least saved a double maybe a triple if that ball had ricocheted off the wall so you know those are the differences those are the things that this team has been missing by having guys out on the field that have no business being at the major league level. And as we see players come back from the injured list, uh, these are the kind of improvements we've been hoping for. Now, you know, the the thing with Senzel is going to be, can he get it together at the plate uh, as much as he has it together in the field? Yeah, and that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit coming up here in a few minutes. But overall, I, I'm pretty happy to see this. And plus, you couple that with Tommy Fam. I know Tommy Fam DH today, which... Yeah, speaking of thoughts here in a few minutes, we're going to have some thoughts on that because Tommy Pham plays a pretty decent left field. And especially if you pair them or pair him with Senzel and Aquino out there, that's not too bad. And honestly, Aquino, he might have found and he might have still been on this Reds roster at the exact right time, just held on long enough because Looking at everything, even when they are fully healthy, you need somebody to platoon with Tylen Aquin. Tylen Aquin cannot hit left-handed pitching. I don't know how many times we need to see it to know any more about it because I think we know what we know, and we're we're fine with what we know. So put Aquino in against left-handed pitching that the Cubs are just going to throw up there because as soon as Drew Smiley got pulled from the game, they just put in another lefty because they know if you put a left-handed pitcher against this lineup more often than not, you're going to do pretty well. But the Reds still ended up scoring four runs off of lefties, which is nice to see, and it doesn't happen very often. You know, one of the things that we we didn't touch on with uh, Aquino between that first at bat and the the second and third at bats is that first at bat, he just flailed miserably at breaking stuff, things down in the zone. And both of those home runs came off of curveballs that kind of hung up there a little bit, but they weren't straight. They weren't fastballs and and Aquino managed to go get them. Uh, If he can do that with just enough regularity to make pitchers think twice about just continuing to groove it up there over and over, he can be valuable. And, you know, like I said at the top, Jeff, this is a guy that's fun to root for uh, but yes. he has to put it together and the thing I've been talking about for weeks now is I need to see consistency in what these players are doing and he's gonna have to consistently not swing and miss at three straight curveballs and then walk back to the dugout if he can eliminate that part of his game at the plate then he can be valuable for the Reds and I think that's where the frustration came for me from that first at bat because the bases were loaded Whenever he did that. But honestly, I, I think that you're talking about Aristides Aquino 
having one, and it's a huge glaring weakness, but if he ever were to figure out this whole weakness of pitch uh, recognition, we're talking about a dude that can do some damage. And, and I would love, love, love to see that. Well, listen, Jeff, even though the outfield is getting an overhaul, if the Reds want to win, David Bell is going to have to be more strategic in the things that he does. Uh, We're going to discuss that coming up next. But if you want to win on the bets that you place, head over to betonline.net right now. Uh, Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball stuff. They've got Major League Baseball uh, coming out of their ears. So many different things you can can bet on as far as Major League Baseball goes. They have you covered for fights. They even have stuff up there already for NFL futures uh, for the season that hasn't even gotten underway yet. Lots of things to keep you interested at BetOnline.net. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoff coverage to esports to Vegas style casino games and so much more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline.net is where the game starts. Thanks for making Locked on Reds your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked on Now podcast. They've got recaps of all the Major League Baseball games with analysis from our local experts. They're going to take you through this baseball season like no other network has ever before. The Locked on Now podcast is free and available wherever you get your podcasts, just like Locked on Reds. Make sure you're following Locked on Reds on all platforms, including YouTube. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, will the Reds be able to rebound against the Chicago Cubs with Tyler Malley on the mound? We'll have you covered with all of the post-game analysis. Uh, Also, I want to talk to you for just a second about some little project I've got going on. You may have seen it if you follow us on the YouTube feed. And if you don't, head over there right now because... Jeff and I are rolling out some of that extra coverage we've been talking to you about. I started this week with a little segment I'm calling The Lefty in the Bullpen. Uh, it's, it's a fun little project. It's going to be a space for me to interview guys, uh, talk about the Reds, talk about just baseball in general, and maybe even some off-topic stuff along the way. Uh, and then in that space, we'll have plenty of time that for things that might not necessarily fit into the regular podcasting feed. So uh, this week I, I got that underway and I had the opportunity to sit down with Dayton Dragons pitcher Spencer Stockton for an interview that was just really a lot of fun. Learned a lot from this guy. Uh, he is a great young pitcher coming up through the system. And uh, here is a, just a little piece of that interview with Spencer Stockton. All right. So in 2019, it was much different than it was now. And um Different can be good and bad, and I, and I won't touch on that. I'll just say it was different in the sense it was a little more old school where it was – honestly, it probably would have been more beneficial for me to be in a system that's more old school, just the way that I pitch. But then in 2020, we hired Kyle Bodie and Casey Weathers and Conger and, and Eric Jagers, who's now with the big league team, and it – I mean, it got turned upside down. And honestly, that it, it was the best thing possible for me and for a lot of guys because there were guys I played with in 19, and I was like, ah, you know, this guy's good, but do I see him making it to the big leagues? Maybe not. And then he comes in 2020 and he gets under all this development. It's like, hey, you're throwing a sinker when your four seam has 22 inches of vertical. Let's throw that. And it's like, oh, his five ERA just went to a one. And honestly, just I was talking about this the other day when Graham Ashcraft made his debut. Is like he, I played with him at 19. And the guy he was then to the guy he was now is 
it's completely different. He threw a hundred back then. Like the stuff isn't really any different, but like the knowledge of, okay, workload management with pulse or, you know, throwing in between starts, like that type of thing. Like that is what development really is. It's not just about, Oh, how hard can we make this guy throw or how big can we make his slider? It's okay. Like, you know, you threw 35 pitches today. What does your next day look like? You know, for when I was in college, like I didn't know it was just, it was a coin flip is I feel okay. And, how long do I have to shack for? But now it's like, okay, like there are set protocols that are scientifically proven that you need to follow if you want to be healthy. And ultimately it's the player's choice, but these are guidelines that they're suggesting and the guys that follow it, you know, they do a very good job. And if you want to hear the rest of that uh, interview, head over to the YouTube channel right now. Click that subscribe button while you're there so you don't miss any of what Jeff and I have coming for you. Uh, but it was a tremendous interview. There is lots of information kind of tucked away in that interview. Lots of stuff from how he has made his journey to be a pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds to the improvements in the development of pitchers, as you just heard, uh, within the Reds farm system, to what it's like playing in Dayton with this tremendous amount of talent that the Reds have stacked right there at high single A. So if you want to check that out, head over to our YouTube feed right now, click subscribe and give it a listen. All right, Jeff, while we're talking about pitchers, you know, Spencer Stockton is a pitcher and a pitcher for the Reds that didn't fare so well, at least not in the fourth inning, was bad Vlad. Uh, he looked good. You and I were texting while it was happening, but then he got to that fourth inning. He crossed that 40 pitch threshold and the wheels kind of came off. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about before, and it's a point that I have put up there as a reason why I think he is most valuable out of the bullpen, and that is he's going to give us multiple innings to a point. He's not going to give us four, five, six innings. We're not talking about a starting pitcher because he seems very effective when he can focus on a finite amount of time, and he can kind of go a little bit harder. It, he's realizing he cannot go 100% for six innings. No pitcher can. There, there's, there's a art, and actually it's something that Spencer Stockton talked about in a pitcher's development of learning how to manage your workflow, how to manage your energy throughout a game. And I just don't know that Vladimir Gutierrez has learned that. Can he learn that? Sure. But as of right now, I just don't see it happening, and I see him being way more valuable as that guy that can kind of bridge the gap between a starter who only goes four or five innings and to the key arms in your bullpen. And I think that it was folly, and it's one of three big things that I felt like David Bell did not put the Reds in position to win this game. I felt like he did not do a good job of putting the Reds where they needed to be and it started with expecting Vladimir Gutierrez to pitch more than three innings. You know, I was texting with you and tweeting about it as that fourth inning got underway. I could not, for the life of me, understand after what we saw in the third. You, you could see this coming. Anybody that has watched this team all season long for these two months now saw this coming. There was no question in my mind what was about to happen. So, you know, do you want to run your pitcher out there and hope for the best? Maybe. I know that, you know, David Bell's dealing with a lot of, of injuries to the starting rotation, and there's a lot of questions surrounding the pitching right now. And I actually had a, an interesting exchange with Carlos Guevara, a former uh, Reds pitcher and uh current uh, podcaster on late night uh, Reds talk. And, you know, he was like, David Bell didn't have a choice. This is how you manage in 162 game season. And I don't agree with that. I feel like you win the game that's in front of you. You win the game that you're in. You make the decisions to put the players in the best 
possible position to be successful today and you worry about tomorrow tomorrow and I don't think that David Bell did that he puts Gutierrez out there and hopes for the best and if that's what you're going to do fine but already have Hoffman up and throwing already be positioned to make a quick change and and we talked about this last week with another move that David Bell made and Brantley even called him out on air saying why he doesn't have somebody up is beyond me. And I think that's the same way that I'm thinking. David Bell is consistently making bad decisions when it comes to putting these pitchers in a position to be successful. Is hope a strategy, Steve? Hope is not a strategy, as some of our other podcasting friends are fond of telling us. It is not a strategy. Shout out to Chad. Yeah, no, it's not a strategy. Uh, and, And that is the only explanation you can give me as to why he was ran back out there in the fourth inning. They were hoping that he was going to be better than he has been all season. They were hoping that he was going to have control. Now, part of it kind of wasn't on him. Part of it was also on the guy at third base. And this has been a consistent issue all season long. And I don't know if it's like karma, if it's, you know, some sort of karmic retribution for the Reds trading the bad contract of Eugenio Suarez to the Seattle Mariners. But my goodness, they cannot get good fielding at the hot corner. And I get it. That ball was scalded. It was a hard hit ball, whatever. We're talking about the tippy top of professional baseball. Third baseman should be making that play. Mike Moustakis was never going to make that play. He should be at DH. There should be, I don't know, Brandon Drury, Matt Reynolds, Alejo Lopez. Somebody else should be playing third base moving forward. Heck, I might even take Colin Moran in that situation. Ooh, I I just don't think it's Moose, and it shouldn't be Moose for the rest of the season. I have a couple thoughts on this, Jeff. I think more than one thing can be true at the same time when it comes to this lineup and the players that are on the field. Uh, Yes, the average Major League third baseman probably should have caught that ball. However, it was blistered, and I could not have caught it. I'm not a major league baseball player, but I mean, that ball was ripped. Uh, The second piece of that is I, for the life of me, can't figure out why Mike Moustakis was in this lineup at all today. The Cubs were throwing a left-hander. They had Aleo Lopez available, who is a switch hitter and a much better glove in the field. There is no good reason for Lopez to have been on the bench other than my continued question of what Aleo Lopez has to do to get some consistent playing time for this team because he can outfield the guy that was out there. Most of the time against the left-hander he's going to out hit the guy that was out there and it makes zero sense to me why he's not playing more Uh, he's hitting almost 275 right now if we want to talk about batting average for the old school crowd Lopez needs more opportunities and for Moose to be out there against the lefty and to be continued to ask to play defense listen I know there's somebody listening to us right now that has access to that Reds clubhouse take Moustakas glove hide it take it home with you get it out of there just I don't care what you have to do mail it to me uh dm me i'll give you an address we're gonna get that glove out of cincinnati and we got to get him out of the lineup yeah they've got to start just thinking of him only as a dh because he's been a defensive liability all season long and i don't think that that's going to change i don't think it's going to change next season and he's not going to be around after that so yeah i i think that you're talking about a dude who has to dh if he's on the field it, it may be first base but even then i still say you know what I'd rather see him at DH than any other position. The other thing that I noticed, and this is something that no, it wasn't just tonight, but it's been pretty much ever since Jonathan India got hurt. 
And that is David Bell doesn't put the best guy in the leadoff spot. David Bell doesn't put the guy who should be in the leadoff spot in the leadoff spot because it should be Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham is the most consistent on-base machine in this lineup. He is the guy that's going to be on base. He hit a home run today. That's not really my argument. I'm not saying that you want to put your best home run hitter leadoff, but if he you know hits a leadoff home run, hey, that's fantastic. We love seeing Jonathan India do that, but Tommy Pham gets on base. I know that Nick Senzel used to lead off. That does not interest me because he's not hitting very well this year. And sure, he just came back from the injured list and you want to get some good vibes. You want to get him some good reps, but I don't want him leading off. Bat him fifth. That's fine. I'm fine with him batting fifth. Or you know what? If you move Tommy Pham up into the leadoff spot, maybe you consider batting Sinzel somewhere like, you know, fourth or something like that. I think people need to get their mind out of the, you know, rut that says you have to have this big, burly, clean-up hitter type because I think Tyler Stevenson right now with the way the lineup's currently constructed should bat second. You know, I I look at this and I think that you should go Fam, Stevenson, Votto. I just think that that is the best way to construct a team toward a win, and David Bell ain't doing that. You know, I agree pretty much with everything you just said, Jeff. Until such time as Jonathan India returns, I have no problem with Tommy Pham being the leadoff guy. I thought it was, once again, a move by David Bell not putting a player in a position to be successful in asking Nick Senzel, who has not seen a major league pitch in over 20 days, who was struggling to hit a major league pitch before he went on the injured list, to, to show up in Cincinnati today and, oh, by the way, you're leading off. Uh, yeah. it just it just doesn't seem like a, a fair ask for a player that you're trying to get back into a groove. He would have been much better suited to stick him in the six or seven hole of that lineup and let him get comfortable, let him get a look at a few pitchers. And then, you know, maybe by the end of this Cub series, if you're still struggling to find a guy to lead off and Senzel's now seen four games worth of pitches and he maybe has some hits under his belt, then you consider moving him up. But right yeah. now, I mean, that was just, that's too big of an ask, in my opinion, to to put him at leadoff right out of the gate. I believe that, and I also believe what I saw from him, I believe it was his second at-bat in the third inning. Drew Smiley threw him nothing but curveballs low. He swung at all three of them and missed all three of them. Like It's just not putting a dude where he can be the most effective for you, which in turn makes your team less effective, which in turn hurts their chances of winning. I put this loss on David Bell. I do. I agree. I think this is one of those times where we can point at a manager and say he did things that that cost the team the game. Well, I'll tell you what, um, with those strange decisions, I, I think that we can look at the bullpen and say that he at least called upon some good dudes tonight. But what is going on with Luis Sessa? I, I, I think that it, it's looking interesting or is it nothing? We're going to talk about whether it's something or nothing here in just a moment. And I'll tell you what's something. Get you some athletic greens. Maybe it's just that uh, Luis Sessa needed some athletic greens. Some AG1. So what is this stuff? If you get a delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that will help you start your day Right. This is a special blend of ingredients supporting your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. 
Literally all those things. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. I think that's like all of the things. But hey, it's all in AG1. AG1 has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than that cold brew habit when you go into your local Starbucks or, you know, whatever coffee shop you might go into. It's lifestyle-friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, AG1 works with all of that great stuff. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and Arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop of cup in water. One, one scoop in a cup of water every day at the beginning of your day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply. Free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash MLB N-E-T-W-O-R-K to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance in AG1. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. You can follow Steve at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And you can follow the show at Lockdown Reds with no Fs because there's no Fs in Lockdown Reds. Make sure you're also subscribed on YouTube. Kind of like Steve said, a lot of extra stuff that's coming your way that you're not going to want to miss, and it's all on YouTube. All right, Steve, there was something about this game, and we did not mention this guy as a as a huge reason to why the Reds lost, but Luis Sessa didn't pitch very well last night. And it was something that I thought of because when I looked at him the other day coming in in Toronto, I just I really wasn't sure about him. I, I feel like we've been a little bit ambivalent about Luis Sessa for the season. And I'm trying to think, is that because he's performed bad? But I looked it up, and he's actually not been that bad. He's just been what relief pitchers are, and they perform in a fickle manner. You know, I think part of the problem, Jeff, is when we looked at this bullpen uh, before the season started, and we looked at them on paper, and we looked at the injuries they were going to be dealing with and who they were going to have out there and, and what breaking camp was going to look like in a shortened spring training. We all considered Luis Sessa to be that top-tier arm, one of two yeah. or three guys that you were going to rely on to come out there and be that ace we were looking for uh, when we were talking about this on yesterday's podcast. And the simple fact of the matter is he's not been that guy. And, and as I said yesterday, there's really nobody in that bullpen that is that guy right now. There's that, uh, there's that little bit of angst when you see the bullpen door swing open, no matter who comes out and Sessa is no different. Like, you know, the way you described it, uh, yesterday, you see him come out and you're like, "Mm." and anytime you have that "Mm," reaction, uh, you can't rely on that guy to be your ace. And I really think that that's the problem because as you mentioned, his numbers are not that bad, uh, as far as what he's actually doing in the grand scheme of things. I think that it's an expectation problem on all of our parts that we wanted him to be lights out every single inning, every single time. And he's just not that guy right now. 
Right. He's not the dude because we we labeled him as bullpen ace 1B. We had Sims 1A and we had Sessa 1B, and he's just not there right now. And, in fact, honestly, when Lucas Sims was pitching for that little bit when he was healthy, I didn't didn't think he was very good either. I I think we're seeing a lot of guys that are fine, you know. They're they're all right. They're, They're fine. Every other time, in fact, I would even go as far as to say that Hunter Strickland is fine. He's not bad. Like, early on in the season, he was bad. I think he's gotten a lot better, but getting a lot better doesn't mean that I'm, like, ready to just crown him bullpen ace. But when I look at Luis Sessa, the only thing that really concerns me is his strikeout rate because his strikeout rate is down, and it's pretty low considering league average. But actually, his walk rate is also down. He's not walking, guys. And the number one thing that I think of when I think of relievers is don't walk people. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that he's not doing that. And there's something else, too, because this is something that you talk about with relief pitchers a lot, and you say, well, their ERA is this, but their inherited runners is terrible. Their statistics around inherited runners are terrible. That's not the case either with him. He's only allowed one inherited runner to score out of eight inherited runners uh, inherited. So when you look at Luis Sessa's profile as a whole, in fact, his ex-FIP, which is a more reliable ERA predictor than anything else, according to Fangraphs, is 3.81. So it should be a little bit. It's not terribly low. It's not saying he's getting super unlucky, but he's kind of getting a little bit unlucky in some of the numbers that we're seeing. So Luis Sessa is not like the just train wreck that I think we're making it out to be. I agree with you. I think it's because we had him up here, and he's kind of somewhere around here. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the other things is he, he had been up until today getting a fair amount of ground balls. And I think that the mm. tremendously bad, just horrible, awful, bad defense that's been continued to uh, be lined up behind him uh, has been a part of that problem, part of that unluckiness. But, you know, if he can continue to go out and get ground balls as this defense improves, uh, as long as he's not giving up walks and home runs, I think that Sessa will become a much re- more reliable reliever for the Reds um, as this season continues to progress. I agree. And uh, speaking of relievers, let's, let's continue on this trend. (sighs) Jeff Hoffman's good, I guess. guess. What was that? (laughs) What was that? Jeff, Jeff Hoffman, Jeff Hoffman. He's good. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. I was calling for Jeff Hoffman to come in and pitch the fourth inning. And uh, part of my whole diatribe against uh, David Bell and what the heck he was doing. Uh, it had been a whole different ball game, I think, for the Reds tonight if Car- if Carr, if Hoffman had come into the game in the fourth inning and pitched the fourth and the fifth instead would have of been after. A different game had I it would have been a whole different game if you had pitched Jeff. <laughs> but no, if Jeff Hoffman came into this game in the fourth, either right at the beginning of it or had been getting loose already, and after that first just absolutely crushed double uh, to open the fourth been brought into the game I think the Reds had an opportunity to win this game because they scored a lot of runs after that so uh, I feel like uh, Hoffman wasn't brought in soon enough in that situation I think it's important especially when you're talking about relief pitchers to kind of look at the peripherals to see a bigger picture and kind of understand I'm not going to order the jersey understand (laughs) the (laughs) The the th- the thing of the matter when you're talking about any relief pitcher, and to be honest with you, the peripherals are pretty good for Jeff Hoffman. He's in the top eight percent of the league 
in expected batting average allowed. It's less than 200. He's in the top 11% of the league in hard hit percentage against him. It's pretty solid as well. And the only thing that I'd like to see get better, he's got a low whiff rate, which has kind of led to a lower than normal strikeout rate. Part of that is you saw it today. It feels like, you know, he's going to get decent counts. He's going to get ahead on hitters. But then there's going to be this weird fastball that goes like over their head and and no hitters like chasing that. That's just not going to fuel anybody. Now it might, you know, get the hitter thinking, all right, where's this next pitch going? I have no idea. But just every so often he he throws off and at bat with that weird fastball. But overall, that's just me trying to find something to further. I don't know. I I might have an irrational uh, dislike of him now, and I think it's 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 where I'm wearing down, Steve. I'm wearing down. I promise. Well, much like you have convinced me that that Vladimir Gutierrez probably is best suited to be a bullpen pitcher. I think that uh, I'm going to convince you that Jeff Hoffman should continue to be a valuable member of the Reds bullpen because he has done a, a pretty outstanding job since they stopped that craziness of running him out there as a starter and have actually put him in positions to be successful. That's going to be the horse that I continue to beat because that is what David Bell needs to continue to do to find those 74 wins that you and I are looking for. Well, you know, doesn't happen very often, but I guess I can admit when I'm wrong. Uh, wouldn't <laughs> mind seeing some more Joel Kunal. Uh, real quick before we end to today's episode, Joel Kunal looks healthy, man. Uh, and I know that's kind of been the biggest question surrounding him for the last couple of years, but he pitched pretty decently. He's only had three innings so far this year, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you Joe Kunal's good. He's going to be amazing, but he's looked all right. And the velocity is solid. His his sinking fastball averages around 95. He's got a slider around 86 and a changeup around 89. Now, those are all kind of conglomerated pretty closely. I'd like to see a little bit more separation there. But overall, he's pitching solidly in these three innings, and I think that he kind of deserves to be part of the rabble that we consider will they or won't they whenever you call them out of the bullpen. You know, one of the things with him, Jeff, and, and I don't like to do this very often because it's very uh, it's very old school. It's a very old school way to look at things. But right now, Joe Kuno is passing the eye test. He looks comfortable. Mm-hmm. He looks healthy. He looks like he's able to just kind of settle in and groove the ball. And, you know, like you said, his velocities are good. I, too, I th- would like to see him maybe have a little bit more separation between the fastball and the changeup for it to be a little bit more effective. But right now, he looks like he's pitching smooth. And once you kind of get that going and you've got your groove, uh, you know, hitters have a, a hard time because you're hiding the ball well. You're, you're doing the things that you're comfortable doing and you find success. So uh, as long as he's doing that, heck, yeah, keep running him out there. And I think a good way to close out today's, because we talked a lot about the bullpen. I want to do this real quick. So we've been doing power rankings for the bullpen and and kind of like updating those periodically throughout the year. Let's change it up just a little bit. Let's power rank the heartburn whenever a certain relief pitcher is called upon. Power rank as in least amount of heartburn. So, you know, is it a Skyline she's Coney worth or is it like a hot Met worth? And I think because there's heartburn involved with all of these, we've said that, and we both agree with that. I think the lowest amount of heartburn right now is Jeff Hoffman. 
I think I agree with that. And I'm just so proud of you for, for being willing to, <laughs> to admit that Jeff, that's, I think that's I exactly what I think. I, I mean, I, you know, again, model of consistency. Who are the consistent guys? Jeff Hoffman is the most consistent reliever coming out of the bullpen right now. And uh, when he comes into the game, now listen, I don't want him out there in the ninth inning in a one run game uh, with a, um, right. a must get out. I know I'm not saying that. But when you need a bridge guy between the starting pitchers and the whatever we're calling the back end of this bullpen right now, when you're looking for that guy, I want Jeff Hoffman to be that guy because he has been very, very successful as being that guy. You know who I don't want to see? You know who's gives me a lot of heartburn? There's guys like Solomon. What are we doing? Let's not run people yeah. out there like that, that you know, you are, you're trying to claw your way back into a ball game. Uh, that's where I get heartburn. Yeah, that's the thing that stinks too, because it's like he made his debut, but I just I don't think I've seen what I want to see from him to want to see more. Mm-hmm. I I think that there is an environment that he can continue to grow in, and I don't necessarily know that it's Major League Baseball right now. And maybe this is his shot. Maybe this is the Red saying, "Look, this is it. Sink or swim. Here we go. Let's see what you got." But the fact that they pulled him out midway through the inning today probably doesn't bode well for that in the future. I, I just I'm with you. I think that Solomon's there. I I'm kind of wondering a little bit about Art Warren here recently. I wouldn't say that he's the most on my on my heartburn meter. He's definitely closer to the middle somewhere. And Tony Santion's getting a little bit better as well. He, he kind of went through a stretch there that I wasn't sure I wanted to see him. But Hunter Strickland, what do we think about him? Because we were talking about whenever they cut Buck Farmer about a month ago, we really wanted to see Hunter Strickland cut. And he's pitched kind of decently well. Strickland makes me go, eh, eh. He's kind of, eh, you know, uh, on this heartburn theme, you know, who I would like to see a few more outings from. And if, if your guy Diaz continues to come out and pitch like he has the last couple times out, he probably goes very high on that list of pitchers that don't give me a whole lot of heartburn when they come out of the bullpen. I agree. And I was just hoping that you would say it because I felt like I've said his name a whole lot here recently. <laughs> well, that's probably that's probably a good spot to wrap it up for today, Jeff. Uh, that'll wrap up this edition of Locked on Reds. Coming up on the next podcast, we will continue to look at this four-game set with the Chicago Cubs and hopefully be reporting about a victory uh, post-Tyler Malley. Uh, Thanks for making Locked on Reds your first listen. Now make Locked on MLB your second listen. Sully brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues, both past and present. The Locked on MLB podcast, just like Locked on Reds, is free and available on all platforms. Uh, Jeff, the Reds are still in great shape to take three out of four from the Cubs, just like we said, but they do need to play a little bit smarter. Uh, What can people expect from us the rest of this series with the Chicago Cubs? We are going to be locked on Reds every single day.